Good evening, everybody. Let's all stand together. We're going to lift up our voices as we sing at the cross. And then Jesus, draw me ever nearer. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Was it for crimes that I have done, he groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Well might the sun in darkness hide, and shut his glories in. When Christ the mighty maker died, for man the creature sinned. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Jesus, draw me ever nearer as I labor through the storm. You have called me to this passage, and I'll follow though I'm worn. May this journey bring a blessing. May I rise on wings of faith, and at the end of my heart's testing, with your likeness let me wait. Jesus, guide me through the tempest. Keep my spirit stayed and sure. When the midnight meets the morning, let me love you even more. May this journey bring a blessing. May I rise on wings of faith. And at the end of my heart's testing, with your likeness, let me Lord to come and meet with us. Um, maybe I can get Brother George. Would you open us in prayer? Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and thank you for this time that we can gather in your house. Lord, we just ask that you be with this service and it be pleasing in your sight. And we just thank you for friends and family. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please be seated. Let's continue in singing tonight. My life is in you, Lord. And then springs of living water. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. In you, it's in you. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope 
is in you, Lord, in you, it's in you. I will praise you with all of my life. I will praise you with all of my strength. With all of my life, with all of my strength, all of my hope is in you. My life is in you, Lord, my strength is in you, Lord, my hope is in you, Lord, in you, it's in you. My life is in you, Lord, my strength is in you, Lord, my hope is in you, Lord, in you, it's in you, in you. I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame, and nothing satisfying there I found. But to the blessed cross of Christ one day I came, where springs of living water did abound. Drinking at the springs of living water, happy now am I, my soul is satisfied. Drinking at the springs of living water, oh, wonderful and bountiful supply. How sweet the living water from the hills of God, it makes me glad and happy all the way. Now glory, grace, and blessing mark the path I trod. I'm shouting hallelujah every day. Drinking at the springs of living water, happy now am I, my soul is satisfied. Drinking at the springs of living water, oh wonderful and bountiful supply. Let's do a favorite tonight. Does anybody just, you can just yell it out there if anybody's got a favorite that they'd like to do for one of our hymns or songs. Just, we're pretty good up here so we can play anything you want. Yes. I'll fly away. In four flats. I know they, I sprung this on them. They weren't ready for me to do favors for them back there. But they're pretty quick at it. They're pretty good. Wow, did you hear that? Thunder? Man, man, oh man. Yeah. It, we're flying away here soon if that wind keeps picking up. <laughs> he just, he just kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not a good thing. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> right, here we go. Oh, sure, we could do that. If you, it's 554 in that hymnal up there for you. Or, oh, they've got it now. They've got it. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. Ah! Uh-huh. 
our favorite. Yes. In the garden. In the garden. Four flats again. Is that right? Yeah. That's what you're Okay. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the in that uh, rarely do I ever preach a topical message. Almost always it's expository. And see, immediately they're getting up and they're leaving because I'm doing it. No, Kurt's class, uh, Fundamentals of the Faith class. Uh, if you are part of that class, be sure and head out. But tonight I'm going to go ahead and address a question. But as I, as I address that question... I'm going to pose the question in a couple different ways that help you and I understand that isn't it interesting how questions posed can structure different thoughts in our minds. So if I was to, if I was to look at Doris and I was to say, well, I pick on you because you're closest. If I were to look at Doris and say to her, what happened to you? Well, now we'd all wonder, what happened to her? Something horrible. You don't have that much time. Yeah, no. <laughs> but if I looked at John and said, hey, John, what happened to you? Now, it doesn't sound so horrible, does it? It's just the way I posed it, isn't it? Or if, or if somebody said, well, you know, Mike, they're, they're talking about Mike and they're saying, what happened to Mike? Now you're wondering, wow, what did Mike do? What's the deal? And it's all in the way we say it. Well, the interesting thing is for you and I as Christians, especially you and I who didn't become Christians until maybe we were a little bit older. I was 16 years old, a teenager, 
Um, my parents were divorced, mom lived somewhere else, dad worked construction and traveled, and I pretty much lived at home alone. And all of a sudden I came to Christ and my life changed. And even my sisters, years later, they told me they were talking to one of my high school friends who said, what happened to Tim anyways? They couldn't even understand that my life had changed so much. It just didn't make sense to them. Well, you and I that are Christians, you and I that, and, and on the Sunday night crowd, primarily, you know, your folks who said, well, I don't care if there's a storm coming, I'm going to church. You and I, on the overall, most of us, we've made a serious decision for Christ. We're born again, we're children of God. We are that remnant that God says he always has. But what happened to us? You know, why is it that we don't live that old life? Why is it we're not, you know, doing all the things that we did before we became Christians? Why, why have we changed so much? So tonight I want to take us through the scriptures. And I want you and I to look at what Jesus has really done for us. Because it's huge. It's massive. It's, it's transformational. It absolutely changed the entire direction of my life and my eternity and yours as well. So the first thing I want to address is that he changed our past. Now, immediately, if, if you're a thinker, you think to yourself, you can't change the past. No, but God can. He did something when you and I received Jesus Christ as our savior, that in a domino effect, not only affected our future, but it erased and washed away our past. And that's an interesting power that only God has through the gospel. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, it says, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You see, when we start talking about receiving Christ as our Savior and becoming a Christian, when we talk about being born again, being a child of God, we understand that all of a sudden something so transformational happened in our lives that the very power of Satan over our life was changed. All of a sudden, the darkness that had settled upon us throughout our whole life until that moment it changed. Not only did we see the past differently, we saw our present differently, and we saw our future differently. This morning as we were dismissing from church, and I was shaking folks' hands out here, a young man I had led to Christ here not too long ago, he stopped me at the door as he was getting ready to go out, and he said, Pastor, you mentioned baptism in your sermon this morning. He said, I want to get baptized. I said, that's great. Let's set it up. He says, yeah. He says, even next Sunday's good. Now, why would a guy who, the last thing on his mind was Jesus Christ and baptism a month ago, and now here he is saying to me at the door, listen, the sooner the better, I want to get baptized. Why? It's because all of a sudden the darkness of Satan was lifted off. Christ changed him. 
And now he sees things so totally different. Even as he looks at his past, he sees it in a different way than he ever has. Because that darkness is lifted through the power of the gospel. Again, Acts 26, 18 says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That darkness and that blindness, gone. But Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Talking about Jesus Christ. Talking about how he changed our past by washing away our sins. Now, when God looks down at us now, we are cleansed, we are justified. That's just as if we'd never sinned. He cleanses us so he no longer sees the sinner he sees the saint. He no longer is looking at that detached, disconnected, that person who's at enmity with God. That's not what he's seeing anymore. Instead, he's seeing a child of God. You and I washed and cleansed through the gospel, through the power of salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All the old things are passed away. Isn't it amazing? He changed our past by making us a new creature in Christ. We are literally born again spiritually. So when we think about what transpired in my life and in your life, when we step back and look at the life we lived, and then all of a sudden the new life that we had in Christ, we understand that something happened that's dramatic. It should be notable in our lives. Amen? I look at Kim Ram sitting back here. And I know Kim did not get saved until after she was married. And she, every once in a while, talks about the transformation in her life from before then until then. You see, all of a sudden, God took all that past and he washed it away. He transformed it. And she became a new person in Jesus Christ. And you and I, if we're not careful, we kind of get, we get used to it. It's like, a, it's like an old pair of shoes. We've worn them long enough. We've scuffed them enough. They've shaped to our foot enough that we kind of forget about them. We become very comfortable in them. It's the same thing with this new skin. This being a child of God. Being born again. Being washed, cleansed, transformed. Before long, we kind of take it for granted. We, we, it's who we've been for a long time. But we forget the miracle of what God did when he changed us. Galatians chapter 6 verse 15 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. He says, you are, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, a new creature. You are a child of God. He says it doesn't matter whether you were Gentile or whether you were Jew. It doesn't matter what your background, where you came from. It doesn't matter what you had been influenced by in all that time.
When you came to Christ, you became a new creature. And he miraculously dealt with all the sins of your past. And he changed you and transformed you. And now he has given you a new present. It affects us every day. If we're genuinely a Christian, if we are sincerely a child of God, we are changed. First of all, we no longer have fear of death. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. And if you do have fear of death, you've got to, you've got to step back. And you've got to ask yourself, why? Why do I fear that when I know what God has for me in store? Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He says, I deliver them. I deliver them from that fear of death where they had for a lifetime been subjected unto that bondage. The power of Satan over you in, in death is broken because you and I now are connected to God through salvation and only God has the power of life. So when we face death, we do that without fear. Uh, this yesterday, I did a graveside service for Yvonne's husband, Mo. How long has it been since Mo passed away? Four years. Doesn't seem like four years, does it? Right after services today, I, I met with two brothers who are getting ready to do a graveside service for their father and their mother. And um, they're going to do the service with all their family. And it's been seven years since their parents passed away. But you know, when death begins to approach, even like Mo, I went to visit Mo in the hospital up in St. Johnsbury and sat down and chatted with him, talked to him. Mo was not afraid. He was not afraid to die. Now, was he in a hurry to die? No, I don't think he was rushing at any. But he was not afraid to die. You see, all of a sudden, God did something in our hearts and lives. That we don't look at death and wring our hands and worry what's on the other side, what's going to happen to me. We're at peace. We're at peace with the fact that God has given us salvation. He has destroyed the power of death that Satan dangles over our head and makes humanity worry about. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It is that peace that we hold in our hearts. Sandra Jo, every time there's a baby at church, you'll notice she loves to hold the babies. Do you see that? And here I see Alika. Here she is, just rocking and holding. Beautiful baby. Well, there's something, there's something, I didn't mean to upset her. Boy. No, doesn't want me to use them as an illustration. Okay. But there's something about when you hold a baby, isn't it precious? Kind of warms your heart, doesn't it? Well, it's the same thing of taking the truth of the peace of God and bringing that to you and embracing it and understanding 
You know what? No matter what, I'm okay. Even if it's passing from this life to the next, I'm all right. The warmth, the comfort, the presence of knowing God is with me. It's called the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. And it is what keeps our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We should not be part of the generation that is wringing its hands every day who's having to rush for psychoanalysis and help to figure out who am I and what am I supposed to be doing and where am I going? It should be that you and I can find that peace and that tranquility within our hearts of knowing, hey, I'm a child of God. And I'm at peace with him day by day. I was talking to one of the ladies this morning who she has very serious advanced cancer. I asked her, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing okay because I take it one day, one day at a time. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have life one day at a time. She's at peace with where she's at as she goes through the valley, the very valley of the shadow of death. She's at peace between her and God. See, that's a power, a gift that God has given to you and I. What happened to us? We were changed, transformed. That's what happened to us. Not only is our past changed, but our presence is shaped by our faith. Look with me at the Gospel of John, if you would. John chapter 1. And I'm going to take you to John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You and I born of God. And because we are born of God, you and I, we have received of him that power to become the sons of God. That shapes us every day as we go about our business to understand I am a child of God, whether it's in the darkness of the lights out or in the light of a bright and sunny day, we're okay because we are part of the family of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says, for whom he did foreknow, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's interesting when you look at this verse that it reminds us that God shapes our present by what he has done with our sins by washing away that past. He has gone now and given us a whole new purpose in our lives. You and I, predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. It simply means that God in his foreknowledge, he looked through time and he said, you know what? I know that someday so-and-so, we'll look at John Kaufman on that back row right there. 
He looked through time, through the thousands of years of time, and he said, that John Kaufman kid one day will receive Jesus Christ as his savior. And when he does, I desire he will live as Christ lived. He will be conformed to the image of Christ. He says, as I look through time and I see all these people who will receive Jesus as their savior, I desire that they be conformed to the image of Christ. It shapes our daily walk, the way we look at things, the way we perceive things, whether it be politics, our health, whether it be ministry in our community, raising our children, all of a sudden our thinking changes on our daily basis. Why? Because Jesus is in us and living through us. He says, I desire that every one of those children that I can look into time and see that become mine, all those that are born again, I desire that they will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That gives us a purpose in life. There's many people who think their whole purpose is to make a lot of money. The problem with money, you never have enough. Uh, the other, just last night, Sandra Joe and I, we were, were sitting at the house and, and I was scanning through Zillow. Any of you know what Zillow is? Zillow is a real estate thing that shows properties. And I was looking at Addison County and on Lake Champlain is a mansion. I call it the castle. If you go out the river and you go down, you take a right onto the lake, there's a stone mansion, incredible. For the second time in a hundred years, it has come up for sale. Anybody want to guess how much they want for that mansion? Higher. Anybody want to take a shot? 20, go ahead. $26 million. Over 300 acres of land. Not only is the huge castle of a mansion there, but it has multiple other houses on the 300 acres. Now the problem for you and I is, even if you had the money, it wouldn't be enough. Because when you buy a mansion like that, you say, well, there might be a bigger mansion. Maybe there's a nicer mansion. Maybe there's a mansion where I don't have to have a winter. Maybe there's a mansion where, who knows, it goes on and on and on. I was reading the other day uh, an article about a famous movie person who just sold their multi-million dollar mansion so they could buy another bigger, bigger, bigger multi-million. It's never enough, is it? It's not going to satisfy. When you and I, you know, when I was a kid in high school, if I remember correctly, the minimum wage was $2.75 an hour, I think, when I was in high school. And now minimum wage is, is it, no, it's 13 something. No, is it 14 something now? I asked the treasurer because she surely knew. But I don't know. You pay everyone $50 an hour. Is, is that, I know, I know. You're not supposed to tell everybody that. It's what? 13.18. 13, 
All right, thank you. So when I was a kid, 275 an hour, and I thought to myself, man, this is amazing. I go to work 10 hours, I've got, I've got $27. It's incredible. Now, look at that. It's barely a little over two hours and they have 27 bucks. And it's still never enough. It's not gonna be enough. There's always a need for more. If that's what drives us in life, we will be a very sad person because you'll never be satisfied. But God says their satisfaction has to come from within. A peace, a contentment, a purpose greater than the things of this world. Say, say it's a car that you think, if I could just have that car, and you get that car, you know what happens over time? It's just another car, right? Same thing with houses, same thing with clothes. Think about when you were a teenager, if you could have just got that cool pair of sneakers or that really cool jacket and you get it and next thing you know, it's just another pair of sneakers. In fact, they're worn out with holes in them. It's never enough. There's never enough clothes, come on. Yeah, never enough. When you look in this text, he wants us to understand. He gives us a purpose. When we became Christians, what happened to us? All of a sudden, our purpose changed. It doesn't mean that, you know, Mary still doesn't like to buy nice clothes. But that's not her whole life's purpose. It doesn't mean that, you know, uh, whatever your wage is, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you say, oh, I don't care, give me two bucks an hour, it doesn't matter to me. No, you still want to make an honest wage. But it's not your very purpose. Your purpose is to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Your purpose is to live like a Christian day by day. The third thing I wanted to share with you tonight, out of my topical message, which I never do, is that it secures our future. What happened to me? All of a sudden, my future changed. Not only did God wash away my sins of the past, not only has he given us a brand new purpose in life, but he has transformed our future. Because there is no doubt in my mind that before I became a Christian, I was headed to hell. Where else would I have gone without Christ? Certainly was not living such a good and wondrous life. I didn't even, I didn't even know a Christian. Somebody was talking to me the other day about youth camp. And I told him, I said, I didn't even know kids went to youth camp. Never mind Christian camp. Never even heard of such a thing when I was a kid. I heard of Boy Scout camp. That was about it. But you and I, when we became Christians, God changed our future. All of a sudden, our exposure to, to the things of the Lord and the works of God, our whole vision changed as to what it was that God had in store, especially when it came to heaven. I can remember as a little boy, somebody had given me a Gideon's New Testament, little, and I can remember having that in my bedroom, and it sat on a nightstand, and I would try to read it. 
Nobody I knew read the Bible, but somebody had given it to me and I wanted to know what it said. And I could not understand a thing out of that Bible. I'd read it and I'd think, what is this? And I, I liked reading, but I couldn't figure that thing out. But after I became a Christian, God changed that in my heart and my life. And he gave me a new heaven. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eight says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. All of a sudden we look into eternity and we say, God, I'm not worried about when I die. I'm not worried about hell. I know you have prepared for me a heavenly home. Yesterday, when I did the graveside, I took the folks that were standing around the grave to John chapter 14. And we talked about that simple text where Jesus Christ says, you know, don't worry, don't fret. I go to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would tell you, I will bring you unto myself. He promises us an eternal home. There's a place that we can look forward to better than the $26 million mansion on Lake Champlain. It's a heavenly home with our God who paid for our sins, who gave us a new purpose with a new future. Revelation chapter 21 verse 10 says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. You and I, now maybe in our generation, we will be that unique generation that's caught up in the rapture to be with him forevermore. The likelihood is each of us will pass from this life into the next as all generations before us. And one day we will wake up not outside the pearly gates knocking and say, St. Peter, let me in. That's not how it works. No, we will pass from this life into the next in the presence of our Lord. In the place he has prepared for us to dwell with him forevermore. We're not going to have to negotiate. We're not going to have to beg. God knows whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And you and I, we have a secure future because that is what he has promised us. Titus chapter one, verse two, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You and I, we claim that promise. We believe God. He cannot lie. And he says he has prepared for us a heavenly home. We have secured our future through the gospel of Jesus Christ. By simply putting our faith in the price he paid, we have an eternal home. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. It's so critical when I lead people to Christ, when I sit down with the Bible and I show them that they're a sinner and they need to receive Christ, turning from their sin, putting their faith in Jesus, after they pray the sinner's prayer, I take them to that text. And I say to them, I want you to look here. God wrote these things 
for you and I that believe on his name. Why? So that we might know that we have eternal life. You see, God, God doesn't want Rose waking up in the morning thinking, do you think I'm going to make it? He doesn't want that. He says, did you believe? Did you put your faith on Jesus? Then you know. Same thing with each of us in this room. If we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we have trusted in him for our salvation, genuinely believed and received, he says, you know, you know that you have eternal life. What happened to Tim Taylor? At 16 years old, I met Jesus Christ. By faith, calling upon him. Somebody witnessed to me on the construction job during my summer job all summer. He didn't give up. Just kept talking to me about Jesus Christ. By the time I went back to school, high school that fall, he had convinced me to go to church. Was not a church person, didn't know anybody other than the girl I was dating in high school. Her mother went to church. That's just about the only person I knew who really went to church. And it wasn't a gospel preaching church. But he convinced me through a whole summer of talking to me while we worked, come to church. And so I went to that church that was meeting in an elementary school cafeteria. It was a church plant. And there were all these folding chairs and the guy started preaching, man, I am telling you what, when he actually opened the Bible and started preaching the gospel, I'd never heard anything like that in my life. And I just listened. And I went back the next week and the next week. And they would give that invitation and I would stand there and hold on to that metal chair because I didn't know what was going to happen next. But finally, one Sunday, I slipped out and I went down to that front row and the preacher came down and he opened the Bible and I met Jesus. And it changed me. Just like it did you. When you received Christ, it might have been at home and your mom and dad led you to the Christ beside your bed. Might have been you came to church like I did when I was a 16-year-old. Who knows where you received Jesus? But when you did, something happened. And what happened changed you. It changed your past because all of a sudden he washed your sins away. It changed your purpose Changed your present. Because now you live for Jesus and let him shape and form you and, and help you to be conformed to his image. And it changed our future. One day I'll see you again. 10,000 10, years from now, we might be walking down the golden streets and I'll look across there and I'll say, Vanjie, wow, I haven't seen you in a millennium. How are you doing? Have you seen Dave? And that'll go on through eternity. Because we have a heavenly home. Praise God, we're Christians. Gathered together on this rainy, stormy night. I, I got phone calls this evening. Pastor, I'm not going to be there. There's a really bad storm coming. I said, okay, that's fine. If it was just Sandra Joe and I, we'd be here. It's okay. But someday we're going to be in heaven together. And it's going to be amazing. All that we think about will be reality. And wow, it's going to be something.
Let's have a word of prayer. Um, we're going to actually get dismissed out of here about 14 minutes early. I feel a little guilty because... Oh, it's okay? Doris? Oh, that's awful. You said it was awful. No, it's good. That way you get home before the storm really gets bad. They set up in Lincoln, Vanjie, that's blowing really bad up there. That's what I got a call about. It's still going to be there when you get there, right? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Thanks so much for coming out tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the gift of eternal life. Lord, we, we become so comfortable in it. We take it for granted. It's such an amazing gift. Nothing we could have earned, nothing we could have bought. You paid for it all. Thank you. And I pray that as we go from this place tonight and we go out into this rainstorm, I ask that you watch over us and protect us. And Lord, if you did take us home, we know you have open arms, ready to receive us, for you have prepared a place for us. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.